We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. I have got a treat for you this week. I'm going to stop putting so many spaces between my words. <laughs> the treat is a particular individual who I looked up to for a good period of time because I was given one of his books by my mom. I think this was in my first apartment that I had, and I started reading his book, and it opened up a whole new world of possibilities. I went on to get another one of his books, and then a few other different same genre style books, and it's the travel genre. You know, these these people who are making a lifestyle out of traveling, and I know travel is something that everybody wants to do nobody wants to be stuck in the same place forever and ever maybe you want to find the place that you want to be stuck in forever and ever but typically it's never where you grew up everyone wants to travel to some capacity it may not mean you know traveling all over the world all the time and making a full-time lifestyle out of it but maybe it's just to check out a place here and there go here and check this place out or take a vacation you know once a year even if that's all you have planned to do or once every two years whatever it is everyone loves to travel to some capacity and our guest today is absolutely no stranger to travel in fact he has built a lifestyle around it through just his this, this is all based on his passion and then he's become a travel writer and he's done a lot a lot more in this realm where uh, he's written amazing books uh, i'll just go i'll just go ahead and say, I'll just go ahead i'm trying to beat around the bush here so i'm i'm i'm, I'm stuttering and with no words our guest today is mr rolf potts and he has a uh, a best-selling book called vagabonding the uncommon guide to the art of long-term world travel that was the first book that my mother gave me, and it actually inspired my van trip that I took when I turned 21 years old. Uh, several of you have probably already heard the story. If you haven't, go check out the very first episode on this podcast. I give a little bit of backstory into that. Maybe one day I'll, I'll delve into that journey a little bit deeper uh, if anybody's interested to hear about it. But he was a, uh, an inspiration to that van trip and that, that period of time I spent in my life toward this concept of just traveling, being on the road. And at the time, I explained that, you know, there was no concept of, uh, of an end date with that trip that I took. And that's largely due to what, you know, Rolf Potts talks about, you know, this idea that you don't have to, you don't have to save up this ton of money. You don't have to live this crazy stressful packed lifestyle to save up in order to go do something and he dives into that more into our episode today but i just really wanted to kind of give you an idea of why today's guest uh, has a, a special place in my memory bank you know uh, and and we'll dive into that you'll hear me geek out a little bit because this is probably one of the first persons that i've had the opportunity to speak with that i've looked up to uh, as much as I had back whenever I was doing my little traveling stint there. And of course, you know, my, my perspective changed a little bit because I did get out there. I got on the road and then I started to realize that it was good for four months. You know, even Rolf talks about this in our episode today. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to let, I'm going to let our, our conversation dive into this because i've mentioned some of this in the conversation so let's just let that conversation dive into it but before we do before we get into that conversation as you know i want to thank 
all of you who have left ratings and reviews for the show. That is just, it's extremely appreciated. Uh, and, and the time that you spend, you know, with the words and, and your thoughts that go into those reviews, there's something that I hold on to and I hold dear uh, because of the impact that this show has had for you. If you have not had an opportunity, please head on over and leave a rating and review. The people that have been impacted by this show, you can read the reviews, you know, see what their what their review of the show is, what impact this show has had on them. And let's just think why why not give so many other people the same type of impact that this show has had on the people who have left reviews already. So if you fill out a rating and review, it helps get this show out to other people who can benefit from this show. And I know that there's a lot of people who can benefit from it, uh, even if it's just myself, even if it's just me. I'm all right with that, but I want to thank you guys for sharing it. It's been uh, it's been amazing. It's been great to be doing it for this long, and I want to encourage you that if you've gotten something from today's episode, you have a question you want to ask, you have an idea that popped into your head, you have a takeaway that you've gotten from our guest today, head over to the Peace with the Process Facebook page and find the teaser video that I posted for today's episode and put it in the comments. Let's get a conversation going. You know, let's start drumming up some ideas and some ways that we can incorporate what we learned from today's episode into our lives. And if that interests you, if conversations along that train of thought, along that growth oriented, growth determined lifestyle piques your interest and you're thinking, I can't be the only person who thinks like this, who thinks that this is awesome, who thinks that growth and implementing the things that we learn about in life in our daily life to see if it works, to see if it helps facilitate our own personal growth. And then, you know, doing an analysis of that, sharing that with others. It, that, that's what I love. You may not be an extremist such as myself, but maybe you're just kind of a, an entry level uh, intrigued into the art of growth. That's it. Join our Facebook community. It's Peace with the Process Facebook group. You can head over there and request to sign up, answer two questions. Once you answer those two questions, we will get you added into that group and you can start talking with like-minded individuals. I want to hear your thoughts and ideas in that group and our other group members want to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's why we've created this community. We want to be around other growth-minded individuals. So head over there, put in that uh, application, if you will, to join the group and we'll get you added in there. I'm excited to have you on the team. All right, guys, without further ado, I bring to you Mr. Rolf Potts. All right, Mr. Rolf Potts, it is a uh, is an absolute honor to have you on the show today. How are you? Good, Blake. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. I'm, I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm about as starstruck as I've probably ever been in my life speaking with you because of uh, the impact that your, uh, that your books have had on me earlier on in my childhood. Uh, a lot of our listeners are well aware of a, uh, a van trip stint that I went on when I was around 21 years old. Um, and I think I've even mentioned it in a few videos or in my bio on my website that uh, one of your books, Vagabonding, was actually uh, one of the books that my mother gave to me when she found oh. out I wanted to travel. Uh, and I read through that thing, went on to read a, um, another copy of your book as well. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to have you on and be able to talk with you. Awesome. Well, good for your mom. And uh, that's cool. My first Vagabonding trip was a van trip. So I know that was a that was a big pull for me as well. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely want to um, want to dive into a bit of your uh, origin story. So we're all um, seeking to design this lifestyle for ourselves. And I have to say, you know, whenever I, I look at uh, what you've got going on and the things that I've read in your books, uh, you've worked toward creating that lifestyle for yourself and the the travel concept you know the uh, the uh, forgive me i know you're uh, vagabonding that subtitle is escaping me right now it's the uncommon Unco art uncommon guide to the art of long-term world travel that's what it is and that right there you know i think everybody wants to incorporate travel in their lifestyle in some form or fashion um, but you specialize in the long-term world travel so i'd love to hear how that got started a little bit about your van trip as well um, and then how you've designed this lifestyle of yours. It was funny from my van trip to the publication of the book was less than 10 years. Um, I took my van trip when I was a couple of years older than you were in yours. I was 23 and I really saw it as this chance to, to scratch my travel itch 
and get it out of my life. You know, there's this idea, it's probably less common than it was when I was young, uh, that travel is a little bit transgressive. It's something you do when you're not quite responsible and it's this separation from your real life. It's this, you know, somewhat irresponsible fun time and then you come back to your real life. Well, um, that first trip taught me that travel doesn't need to be as expensive or dangerous or difficult as you might think it is before your travels. And in a way, I just kept traveling. And that experience of building a life around travel, it eventually came to encompass uh, South Korea, where I worked as an English teacher for a couple of years and, and Southeast Asia and, and across um, Europe and North Africa. I realized that that could be an ongoing thing that didn't need to be separated from from my actual daily life. Uh, and so when I sat down and I wrote Vagabond and I really wanted to separate that idea of travel from vacation, you know, the idea that you take time off from your normal life and you travel, well, why not just integrate travel with the life uh, that you want to live, the life that you're becoming, you know, I was in my 20s when, when I started my travels. And I think when you're in your 20s, for example, you can really integrate travel in your life in a dynamic way because you're not really committed to things that, you know, like kids or a mortgage uh, that you are when you're older. But even people with the more traditional lifestyles could travel in ways that go beyond the vacation. So I really wanted to, to stake out the idea in vagabonding that travel doesn't need to be this vacation type escape from your real life, but it can dynamically integrate with the life that you want to live. And of course, in the years since my book came out, it's been almost 20 years now, the, the digital nomad movement has come around. The idea of remote work is much more common. Um, and of course, as we're recording this, we're in the pandemic. A lot of people are doing remote work, even if they could go to their office. And so the idea of not having to work from a specific geographical location, but you can work with your, your client in Florida, even if you're in Kazakhstan, that's much more normal now than it was when I wrote the book. And so in a way, a lot of the things that I was predicting in that book have come true in a much broader level. You know, the idea you, you actually have to hustle less to work remotely now than you did uh, when I wrote the book. So um, we can jump into a lot of the specifics that, that come through the book or my own experiences, but that's sort of the, the overview, you know, the idea that travel is something you can do for a year at a time instead of a week at a time. You just have to shift and make that kind of thing possible. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so let's talk about the, the turning point that you made when you decided what it was you were going to do uh, to fund these travels um, you know, on the long-term basis. Cause you, you, you did the, you did the van trip. And then at some point there was a turning point that said, Hey, I can do this all the time. This can be what I do for my lifestyle. Um, and you know, I know you to be the, uh, the travel writer. So that's obviously something that you picked up that, uh, allowed you to do that as well. Tell us a little bit how that journey went. Were there any ups and downs to getting that type of uh, income to be able to support you through all those trips? Or were you very much um, humbled and just acceptive uh, toward the, I guess, the, uh, the very low budget travel? Because I know you speak a lot about that and you've done several stints on uh, just being bare, bare minimum. Yeah, I like bare minimum travel and it's actually, it's a lot of fun. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, um, back before the pandemic, um, I traveled uh, through Asia in that old style. It was sort of the 20th year anniversary of my first real Asian vagabonding. And so I just went dirtbag style backpacker through Sumatra and Sri Lanka and other parts of Asia. And gosh, it was so, it was so much fun. Like I was staying in parts of Sumatra that are basically a postcard. It's like what you dream of, of the beaches that you dream of sitting on when you're retired. It was 18 bucks a night, including all three meals. All I had to do was get there, you know, and this isn't a major international hotel chain. It's just a little eco resort on the Sumatran coast. Uh, and so even though my earliest ideas of how to make travel happen were tied into budget travel, even though now I have a lot more money, sometimes it's just more fun and more rewarding uh, to, to travel like a dirtbag. And so really the, my earliest lessons, that turning point came before uh, or came during my van trip um, that I, this was back in 1994. God, it seems like a long, it was a long time ago, but um, uh, I 
traveled for eight months and it cost me $5,000. Now I was sleeping in the van. I was eating a lot of ramen and rice. I had no money, but man, what a blast. What an amazing time I had during that trip. And then later when I was a backpacker in Southeast Asia, um, I was traveling also on maybe $10 a day, maybe a little bit more, maybe $20 a day across Asia and Europe. And I was having so much fun and it didn't cost that much. So I think there was this idea, this sort of place-based idea that fun costs money, that you have to throw your money at the best things in life. Well, things do cost money, but oftentimes you just have to give them to yourself. And so I think oftentimes the metric we use to judge value is sort of a city-based metric. I know that you live close to Dallas, so we use Dallas or New York or San Francisco. Our daily expenses there as a way to extrapolate what travel will cost. Well, if you travel in Peru or in Thailand or in other inexpensive parts of the world, Egypt, you're gonna be traveling for a fraction of your daily expenses anyway, especially if you don't mind giving up some of those comforts. Instead of staying at the Hyatt, you're staying at the mom and pop guest house or youth hostel, which are more interesting to be honest anyway. And so, I often talk about the idea of giving yourself permission to travel because often it's not about the huge amount of money in your bank account, but it's about the willingness to make whatever money you do have in your bank account. And when I was 23, it was $5,000 uh, to make it last a long time. And when I had $5,000, it lasted uh, it lasted eight months. And that was in the US, which is not a cheap place to travel back then or now. Um, so I use the word dirtbag semi-jokingly, you don't have to be a total dirtbag, but if you don't mind giving up a few comforts, man, it pays off in experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can relate with that uh, just simply because my trip was only four months long and I only saved up $2,000 and I actually came home with, uh, I think half of that still left over. Um, and that was, I think the only thing we spent money on was gas and Chef Boyardee. Um, that's, and we, we rarely ever even cranked the generator that we had on the van to microwave it. We were just eating it straight out of the can. <laughs> so I know what you mean when you say kind of dirt bag style, cause I was long hair, you know, I was, we were taking solar showers with the black, uh, black bag you put on top of the van to let the sun soak it up so it could get hot. Um, and that was, it was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing experience. And, um, I've been trying to convince my wife to recreate that. Um, and do maybe like a short bus version of it. And we could go off every now and then for a week or so at a time once her job gets remote as well. Um, but I haven't quite sold her on it yet. I think we've probably spoiled ourselves a little bit on the Hyatt and some of the nicer hotels yeah. as well now that I've come back. <laughs> but um, so tell us a little bit about some of your biggest struggles uh, when trying to create this lifestyle. What were some of the biggest hurdles that you had when you decided that this is what you wanted to do? Well, often they were psychic struggles. You know, there's this idea that I'm somehow being irresponsible or I'm, I'm, I somehow owe it to myself and my community to, to live a more air quotes responsible life. Um, but it's not like I just became, you know, you're an, a part-time hash dealer to fund my travels, you know, and no, no offense to people who are doing that, but, um, you know, I wrote for National Geographic. I've been on the Travel Channel that, that, that I put in my time doing a, living in this non-conventional lifestyle, but I was smart enough uh, to keep an eye out for opportunities within my wheelhouse. Now, I realize that not everybody's going to be a travel writer. Not everybody's going to have ambitions to write for National Geographic or be on the Travel Channel, but I don't think that you have, in a way, the, a great metaphor for travel is, is your, be your, it's your better university education. You know, that you actually spend a lot of money going to university. People go into debt, crippling debt for it every year. And, you know, it has its advantages. But just think of this dynamic part of your life, be it four months or four years, to really learn not just how to do things, but what you want to do and, and who you are and what appeals to you. And basically just having faith that you don't know yet the best parts of what is going to be out there but knowing that it will happen. And so a lot of those early obstacles were getting over the idea that not knowing what was going to happen was a bad thing. In a way, not knowing what's going to happen is a good thing. If you're just serious and smart about things, that you don't have to be the, the hippie burnout on the beach with his bong, that you can be someone who's learning every day, learning languages, learning ways to get around, uh, interacting with people who 
you know, if, if back home you drive a truck or teach school, you're going to be many people who do the same thing anywhere in the world. And you're going to be learning about their worldview and, and just basically soaking everything up from practical things to spiritual things and just knowing, and, and there's so many advantages to online life, but sometimes online life makes us think we know exactly what will happen to us before we leave home. To this day, not knowing what's going to happen is part of the excitement and start part of the thrill of that. If you don't micromanage what's going to happen next, then anything could happen. And that's exciting. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, but I do think that that is just as you describe it, it's, it's exciting for those of us who have stepped out and looked to experience the unknown. Um, there's a, there's a, it's something I think that Tony Robbins talks about. And he says, we all have a balance between these two desires. And one is the desire for comfort. And one is the desire for uh, discomfort. No, I'm sorry. I misquoted that. It's certainty and uncertainty. Hmm. So you have a desire of a certain level of certainty. You, you want to be certain that, uh, that you've got a job you can, that can fund your life. Uh, or, and then maybe you have the uncertainty of uh, where you're going to be in that job. So some people choose careers where they're on a different job site every single day, because that's where they want that uncertainty, but they're able to go to work every single day. So they have that certainty. So for anybody who's listening, that's thinking, yeah, what Rolf is talking about sounds insane. You just got to really start playing with that balance. I think every single day you can test that balance a little bit more and more. Um, and would you agree, maybe going out on some uh, short local travels, uh, you know, on a whim, no GPS, stuff like that, what would you suggest would be a good way to kind of exercise that muscle? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, now that we are in this COVID era, again, I'm not sure when this is going to broadcast, but certainly we're not going to immediately be done with the pandemic era. You can keep those muscles strong by doing cool things around your house. Um, what is today? Today what day of the week is? Oh, this is Thursday. Yeah. So eight days ago, my fiance and I, we threw up the front door and we walked 22 miles to a place in Kansas called Little Sweden. So we just had this crazy, it killed my feet, but we had this crazy vagabonding adventure um, right here. And, and it's not like there's like tourist attractions in North Central Kansas, but we saw all this crazy stuff, you know, just all kinds of wildlife. Uh, and domestic animals. And we just had some funny interactions with people we met along the way. And that was just literally walking out the front door and starting to walk. And seven hours later, we're in this cool place called Little Sweden, Lindsborg, Kansas. And so absolutely, that's a thing. And you're talking about certainty versus uncertainty uh, to fund your life. Um, actually, sometimes the life that you think you want to fund uh, you don't know enough about what you love yet. You know, you might go across, you might travel the world because you like long distance hiking. And then pretty soon you're doing long distance hiking and you're learning things about food that you never learned before. And suddenly you realize that you might have culinary ambitions, you know, that I, the, the whole idea of funding your life. Well, coming to terms with your own ignorance and your own uncertainty is knowing that you're going to be smarter and more talented and have more interests and skills in two years or four years or five years, especially if you travel and are leaving yourself open to the unknown. And so I'm not saying that my 22 mile hike the other day threw open my life in a new way, but it certainly made it more interesting than your average Wednesday. Um, and that's the kind of uncertainty and fun that can be part of this kind of travel. Absolutely. Uh, I think I'm actually going to put that down on my, uh, on my to-do list to do, because I never thought about that. Um, I guess my initial thought is as well, I've already driven to several of the spots all in the surrounding area. Um, but like you said, you know, there's things you see when you're on foot rather than when you're in a car or, you know, you take, uh, not to sound cliche, but you take that path less traveled. So maybe you choose a dirt road you normally wouldn't take or something like that. Uh, I like that. I think I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my own personal bucket list and, uh, and do something like that here around, uh, my local town. So, yeah. One of the concepts uh, that I think ties in with this very well, uh, and I've, I think, I don't remember, I don't, I think it was vagabonding that I, uh, that I read about this in, but it was your experience when you were going over, you had crossed several different borders, um, and I don't recall which ones they were, forgive me for, uh, for not having the accuracy for it, but you had crossed over several different borders, and each time you would cross a border, you'd speak with someone in this country, and they'd have something to say about the one that you had just, or, or were about to go into, and then when you went into that country, you had those people were saying, oh, no, 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 you don't want to, you don't want to go into that country because these type of people are this way. And then you would get there and it'd be completely different. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, because I think it really expounds on the concept of uh, 
I guess it's the it's the fear or maybe it's kind of like this you know we we watch the news so much so we have this already pre uh perceived idea of what the rest of the world is like you, you know where I'm going with this yeah well it's the idea of a mediated life and there's a million ways to mediate your life now and gosh our smartphones the things we carry in our pockets are as bad as anything. I mean, they solve a lot of problems, but they can create a lot of impressions that simply aren't true. And not to slam Instagram too much, but um, you look at travel Instagram and you're gonna see a bunch of pictures of things that kind of happen in travel locations, but not really. You know, just sort of more beautiful and handsome people in more beautiful and uh, scenic versions of places that you see out there in the world. And so I think a lot of the ways that we mediate ourselves are through platonic ideals of our own life you know plato saying that there's this there's this idea version of certain things in life that's the perfect version but so rare do we experience the perfect version of of things in life and so yeah there's a million ways to mediate things including you know the stereotypes that the burmese people have of the thai people on different sides of the border and so if you are only taking cultural ideas based on their stereotypes, then you're not really going to be experiencing the world as it is, you know. Uh, and I think oftentimes that can happen in parts of world, you know, around the time Vagabonding came out, there was the, the idea of the axis of, e of evil, you know, it was right after 9-11 and certain countries were on the axis of evil. Well, um, I think there's certain places that oftentimes those politically dangerous sounding places have a lot of really hospitable people there. I mentioned, you know, I went to Syria back then. I don't know if it's safe to go to Syria now, but I was Syria, in Syria around that time. And just people were very curious and welcoming in ways that never would have been available to me had I just been reading the news. Um, and so I think there's just something to be said for just hanging out and breaking bread with people or talking with them or, or asking them for help that will teach you truer lessons about the world than if you're just reading about it through the news or through social media or through whatever. And that can apply to a place where you and I are sitting as much as any other place. You know, I live in a more rural part of Kansas. I'm not sure how rural your part of Texas is, but uh, people have weird stereotypes about what it's like to be in rural America as well as, you know, the Middle Eastern country of Syria or Egypt or places like that. So there's really something to be said. I think a, a quote I have in the book, I think I'm quoting somebody else is that there's one thing to read about a place, but it's another thing to smell the place, right? And so unless you've smelled a place or a part of a place, uh, having stereotypes aren't as relevant because uh, the, the personal experience of a place counts for so much more. Right. Yeah, I like that. I absolutely agree. So what is a, uh, a recent opportunity through your travels that you've seen as an area for you to grow? maybe an experience that uh, opened your eyes to something that uh, you might not have been proficient in or just opened your eyes to something that you felt you wanted to explore deeper? Well, I, you know, that, that those Asia travels I had a few years ago, I always go back to Sumatra because um, it was just such an amazing experience. I can't believe I was only there for a month. It felt like I was there for a year. I wish I was there for a year. Um, and so I think sometimes as a traveler, you have lessons just like being still and being aware of what might be there beyond your bucket list. For example, you might have, you might study Sumatra and come up with 10 ideas of what you want to do. And then suddenly you're in the city of Bukatingi for a few days and you're like, really, they have cow races one village over. And then you're renting a motorcycle and then you're driving the motorcycle to the village with the cow races. And then it's amazing. And, and you realize how tough the dudes are who are racing the cows that basically there, it's not about the, the jockeys. It's not about the, the Sumatran rodeo cowboys. It's about they're trying to show off their cows and get a better you know, showing price for their cows. And so pretty soon you're having this amazing adventure that you never could have learned about before you started the adventure. And so I think that's an ongoing lesson that I have um, as a traveler. Actually, when I was in Sumatra, I wrecked my motorcycle. Uh, I was fairly, fairly concussed. I have a handful of fairly negative experiences, including getting drugged and robbed in Turkey uh, and, you know, getting uh, cholera in Laos many, many years ago. I think sometimes those super negative experiences uh, can teach you a lot about the limits of travel, but also the, the kindness of strangers and, and um, what's possible. And so, you know, I was concussed. Uh, I was knocked out by that motorcycle accident in Sri Lanka. 
And actually what is most remarkable about, about that is not what happened in Sri Lanka, but months later when I was in Kazakhstan and Paris, just dealing with sort of the post-concussive depression of that. And I, I learned this strange lesson in empathy. I'm not naturally a depressive person, but dealing with post-concussive depression made me a lot more empathetic to people who are dealing with medical depression, right? And so suddenly I was seeing through the world through the eyes of a depressed person thinking, oh man, I need to be a lot nicer and more empathetic with people who actually deal with depression on a daily basis. So isn't that a weird lesson to get, you know, that, that one day you're knocking yourself unconscious because of a motorcycle wreck in Sri Lanka. And then a few months later, and you're, you're in Paris and you're trying to be more empathetic to people who might be experiencing depression just because that's the way that they're wired. Um, and God, if you allow yourself, you can have these, all these crazy lessons where it's not until three countries later that you're really learning the lesson you learned a few countries ago. No, I think, I think that's great because I think it all comes down to just this level of openness, just being, being up and available to whatever might come at you. And then not only that, but I think there's a lot to be said about your ability to sit back and reflect on everything that you've experienced and maybe that's so okay i want to i want to phrase this as a question rather than me just sitting here and assuming uh so would you find that you learn these lessons more when you're in the moment or when you're spending time reflecting on them yeah well probably you're going to say oh well it's clear that reflecting is when you learn well (laughs) that's the answer is yes you know that that sometimes you are not yet sure um in the moment what has happened yet. And of course, when I wrecked my motorcycle, I was knocked unconscious. So I wasn't really, I had to piece together that experience after the fact. Um, but even when I was hiking, I, I, I commented to my, my soon to be wife, just like, I'm really in pain right now. Like at mile 20 of 22 miles, it's like, I'm in so much pain. Yes. Right now, the story I tell tomorrow morning is going to be a little bit different. You know, that basically the, the next morning or the 24 hours later, I was able to understand that pain in a little bit better way. She, you know, she made fun of me. She's like, well, now we know what it, you're going to walk like when you're an old man. Because <laughs> I was, you know, walking 22 miles in one day after not having walked any more than six or eight miles, that, that hits your feet pretty hard. So truly it is sometimes, especially those painful or negative experiences, it isn't until you have a day or maybe even a year so you have the perspective to understand how that has affected your life. Uh, what I learned in that situation is, yeah, I felt 70 years old at mile 21, but I felt fine the next day. And I think that just teaches you of your own capability to withstand pain or to put things into perspective or just to think that, yeah, mile 21, a week before I would have been just staring at my computer and how awesome is it that I had to work through pain in my own home state and work through a few blisters, that's far more memorable than whatever dumb crap I was reading on my computer one week before at the same time of day. And so, yeah, I think perspective is everything. Even if you think that the wisdom is gonna come through the moment and you know we have that word epiphany that, that is about those realizations that you get. Even when you have epiphanies, I think epiphany plus a week or a year is gonna be perspectives that make that such a dynamic part of your life. And what, travel can do is just throw you out of your habits, throw you out of everything that is familiar and make you more likely to have epiphanies and more likely to learn and give you things that you will one day have perspective about. So yeah, I'm with you on that. No, that's, that's absolutely awesome. I love that. And I, I love that as we're talking, we're pulling out all these different concepts that I think, you know, from the outside looking in, I don't think a lot of people would expect to have that from uh, from someone who's a travel writer, as opposed to someone whose sole purpose is to, uh, you know, teach on better sleeping patterns, you know, things like that, like things that can be implemented in the daily life. But, but the things that are learned from travel writing, from traveling in and of itself, uh, I don't know, like, there's just so much to be learned from the stories of individuals, no matter what it is that they do, uh, for a living. So I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm just being a bit uh, overwhelmed by all the different uh, concepts that we can pull just from the experiences that you had. For instance, one of the things that I know sticks out to me is uh, the level of confidence that it has to take, uh, well, confidence and courage combined to do some of the things that you've done. Um, you know, there's, there's a few things that I think people can envision themselves doing, but one story that sticks out to me uh, that I read in the, in the Marco Polo didn't go there, um, was you, when you were, 
and forgive me, I think it was Thailand. I don't remember the exact location, but it was for the filming of the movie, uh, the Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. The beach. Yeah. Yeah. The beach. That's what it was. So that story was, uh, that was one of the ones that probably inspired me the most because you had this mission in mind, uh, of, of kind of infiltrating this, uh, this set and, and everything that led up to it, to you actually, uh, getting there, uh, or, or not actually getting there. Um, the whole thing was, uh, was amazing, but at the root of it all comes this, uh, this courage that you have to have deep down to, uh, to step out and actually act upon that. Well, I th- one thing to, about that mission is that it was a failed mission. You know, I didn't go and high five Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, I, got sort of close to the filming location, but the, all, the best lessons of that, the best realizations of that story, which is chapter one in my book, Marco Polo didn't go there, are about the fact that it failed, you know, that I probably learned more, grew more, have more perspective for the fact that it, that it didn't fail uh, by doing that. And that was a stunt, you know, I sort of created this mission for myself that I failed in, but sometimes those are fun missions to have. I mean, even just my 22 mile week la- walk last week, that it was successful, but I just did something silly. It's just like, I'm going to walk out my front door and keep walking until I get to this ethnically Swedish village in Kansas. Well, that's sort of a fun mission to have. Uh, you would, you'd sort of frame this in the idea of being a travel writer. Well, I think whatever you do for a living, travel is going to deepen the mission of that job. You know, if it, be it if you work in IT or if you work as a chef, um, that and people often say, I, I, how do I become a travel writer? I want to travel the world. I'll say, no, 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 no. You don't have to be a travel writer to travel the world. Save money doing whatever you do, and it's going to blow your mind. I mean, you could work, I think I say in, in Bagamon, you could work cleaning toilets. It doesn't matter. You just save up your money. You could travel the world. And what happens is that whatever lens through which you see the world, you know, be it as a, as a doctor or a nurse or as someone who works on cars, travel is going to blow your mind and deepen your life, not just in ways that are applicable to your vocation, but just spiritually and and cross-culturally. And as a human being, you're going to learn things that you don't have to be a travel writer to learn. So I I tried to invade the set of that Leonardo DiCaprio movie as a travel writer, but I think anybody could have done the same thing just to see if they could have done it. And the take-home lessons are less about Hollywood and the stardom of Leonardo DiCaprio than the idea of, well, what was going on in the story of that movie and what do travelers want and why do we want it? You know, it goes back to that idea of not really knowing what you want, traveling the world as a person who can learn what you do want, what, you know, you can, you can try to walk 22 miles or invade the set of a, a movie, but maybe the lesson you're going to learn is completely different than what you thought you're going to learn. Unless you leave, unless you leave yourself open to learning, then it's going to be less adventure, uh, interesting adventure than you thought you did. So I love travel, not just as an act, but as a metaphor, as this way of pushing your boundaries. Um, and sure, you used sleep as an example. You know, someone could talk about optimizing your sleep in the work world. Well, what better way to try and opt- to learn about your sleep than to sleep next to a mosque for four nights in Egypt when the call to prayer goes out at five in the morning? What better way to optimize your sleep life? When you're on a super peaceful beach in Sumatra or in a super noisy, you know, uh, motel that's super cheap, but super noisy in Helsinki, you know. So basically taking yourself out of that comfort zone, comfort zone in air quotes is often used in the context of a lot of different ways we challenge ourselves at our home and work environment. But God, waking up every day in another country takes you out of your comfort zone. So, yeah. Um, I guess I would just say that you don't have to be a travel writer for travel to blow your mind and create a story of your own life that is going to make your life better and more nuanced and exciting. No, and I think that's what uh, that's what makes you so unique in what you do, that you're not an advocate for uh, for travel writing solely. You're an advocate for travel in any form that that takes over for the individual. Um so I'm glad you grabbed that and uh, and veered me off in the other direction with that because I don't want to get centered on uh, exactly what it is that you do, but allowing people to see and open up about the concepts of uh, of travel in whatever it is that they probably already have envisioned for themselves, um, and maybe they've even blocked it out of their mind, thinking, "Oh, well, you know, this is what I want to do with life, and this is how travel has to look in that fr- in that frame of mind and in that frame of career choice." Um, 
and I think that's something we can all experiment and play around with, um, especially in today, just like we mentioned earlier with, uh, with all the remote opportunities that we have. Um, and I, uh, this episode will air after mine and uh, Nick's episode, but we even talked a little bit about him stepping out and asking his uh, employer for one day out of the week to be able to, uh, to work from home. And then it was two days out of the week to be able to work from home. So there's practical steps that can be taken uh, to get you there. And then there's go crazy, go off on a whim and, uh, and, and, you know, do something uh, adventurous to get you there. Yeah. I love that. The idea of incrementally um, asking permission for that, because in a way he, he enabled himself to show, not tell. He could say, let me work for a month remotely uh, and I, I promise you it'll be great. Instead of saying work remotely, then you can say you're, for one week, day a week, you can say to your boss, was I less productive? Oh, how about that? I was more productive. Well, let's do it two days a week. You know, basically you're just, you're just easing yourself into that situation. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, not setting limits on how things should be. Um, I taught at some fancy schools for a while. I taught at, at um, Penn, I taught at university at Penn for a year and Yale for two years. My students were great, but I would talk about travel and uh, they'd say, oh, yeah, I want to go to Kazakhstan, but I really hope I get this State Department fellowship when I go to Kazakhstan. It's like, you don't need a State Department fellowship to go to Kazakhstan. Go hike for a week. Get lost. Turn it into a two-week hike. Uh, hike. Go do vodka shots with people. You actually, I mean, you're already going to Yale. Do you really need permission from the State Department to go to Kazakhstan? And so I think sometimes even when we have a lot of privileges behind us, we forget that you don't need a per permission to do anything. You don't need the State Department's permission and, you know, maybe you need your boss's permission for one day of remote work and you can turn that into two days of remote work. But oftentimes um, we set so many limits because we think we're supposed to. Um, and, and heck, if I was a young Yale student these days, I'd go and have fun for a month in Kazakhstan before I did anything with the permission of the State Department, because that's where you learn the most. You know, you learn the rich, you meet all the rich Kazakhs, the rich upper middle class Kazakhs working for the State Department. What about the villagers? You know, what, what wisdom do they have to teach you? So that's the great thing about travel is that you can sort of get out of that permission matrix. And again, I'm not saying that you should quit your job. Well, you know, maybe you should quit your job, but you don't need to burn bridges, but just sort of get out of the idea that you have to do this in this place or that in this other place and just be lost for a while. Getting lost is a great, is a great way to find things you didn't know you were looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love it. I love the whole thing. And it's, you know, I've actually been afraid to pick up Vagabonding again and to pick up uh, your other books because I know how much they influenced me back then that I know I'm going to get that bug again and it's going to open it up, but it's too late now because our conversations has already done it. Um, right. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm curious to know uh, what are some things that you have going on in the future? What are some different uh, locations you're wanting to travel to? Um, you know, what are some different things? Cause you've written, you've written several books. You do a lot of writing for the different uh, uh, magazines and publications and things like that. But you know, what's the next step uh, for you? Well, it's funny. I keep talking about my soon-to-be wife. Well, this spring I'll be married, and I'm excited about traveling with her. Uh, and that that might sounds sound weird. I've actually argued a lot for solo travel, and even if you're traveling with a loved one, you can split up your days in such a way that you're sort of doing your own thing during the day, and then you have dinner and you tell your stories at night. But um, I actually met her during the pandemic. It's, it's this world whirlwind thing. You know, she was my person immediately. Um, never believed in the idea of a soulmate before meeting her. And so now I'll get to travel the world with her. So there's very specific travels that we want to do together that sometimes will dovetail with my writing or my teaching. And sometimes they won't. So like I teach a class, a writing class in Paris every summer. She used to live in Berlin. So um, we're going to hang out there and then we're going to go visit Berlin. She has family in Norway. So we'll, we'll hit Norway. But then there's also these, these writing-oriented uh, journeys that I'd like to do with her in tow that involve going to the South Pacific or going to Africa uh, or maybe going to parts other parts of Indonesia that I haven't been to, like Borneo. So that's what I'm excited about, that actually it's not a geography, but it's actually being with a person and just sort of knowing that Indonesia is going to look a little different when I'm with her. And that's exciting. It's like it's a whole new country that is before my eyes. So you know, a year ago, when I hadn't met her yet, I would have answered that question differently even during the pandemic. Um, but now it's like, yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to, uh, to travel with my wife and just sort of see through, uh, through her eyes a little bit too. 
No, that, I like that. I like that a lot because the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, so how many years have you been traveling solo so far? Oh, well, I think you used the, the, the word we when you're talking about your van life. I actually traveled with a buddy when I traveled by van when I was 23, and that was fun. But since then, I've almost always been travel, uh, solo uh, travel. So um, 25 plus years, I've been mostly a solo traveler. Sometimes I travel with friends. Um, usually I travel by myself. Even when I'm married, I'm sure I'll do some solo travel. Um, she's, an, she's an actress, so she'll be off you know, doing a film or something. And so I'll shrug my shoulders and go have my own adventures. But um, it's a shift. And I really, I feel like I'm going to have more fun. Even though I'm a, a diehard solo traveler, I'm going to have more fun traveling with her than I'm going to be traveling alone in a pinch. So after 25 years, it's like this whole new, window is thrown over into how I can travel by traveling um, with this person I want to spend my time with. And so, I don't know, I'm looking forward to it. Now, granted, she's done a lot of travel on her own. She's a big walker. I mean, the reason we walked 22 miles last week was more her than me, because that's her way of getting to know places. She, she walked from, uh, from Venice to Munich once. Um, and I can really see doing some long distance walking travel that will allow me to see places at that snail's pace of walking, that will be fun. And that, that I owe that to her. But in general, that's another unexpected that I'm looking forward to is traveling with another person instead of being a solo guy all, all the time. Yeah, I mean, the, like I was saying, the first thing that comes to my mind, it's not a new chapter in in this lifestyle that you created. But I think that that calls for a whole new book, just because mm. you're, you're almost you have the opportunity to revisit so many locations and have it in a whole new light. Uh, that, yeah, definitely a whole new book rather than just a new chapter in my yeah. perspective. Yeah, no, I, I know vagabonding fans who've gone and and they're like, I love it. Um, I have three kids. I'm going to take them and see what happens. And God, they they have a great time. What a great experience for the kid to have. Now, it's not as, it's not as easy, you know, like traveling with kids is it, it recalibrates every aspect of the day, but it's certainly doable. Uh, and so that's fun. I, I think that there are there are some vagabonding fans who are a lot wiser than me when it comes to family travel, because they've been doing it with kids, um, which is something that I haven't done. Uh, and so absolutely, like the company you bring, be it kids or a wife or a pack of buddies for your frater from your fraternity are going to change your experience of the trip. And that's fun. I mean, I think I'll always default to being a solo traveler, and I encourage people, even if they don't feel like they would be a, solo, a good solo traveler, to try it. Um, but I think, yeah, part of the fun of my travels in the near future will be going with my wife. Yeah, I love it. I think that's really great. Um, so I'd love to know what is something that you do uh, habitually that you think is just so important? Uh, you know, maybe you would try to convince somebody else to do it themselves. Something I do habitually. It could be daily, something you do weekly. I know as someone who does a lot of travel, so I love routines and different things that I can incorporate in a routine. Now, several of those things can be done while traveling. Um, but I'm curious from somebody's point of view who probably goes off the beaten path, who, who probably doesn't stick to routines as much as I would envision, what you would think is something that you do uh, daily that somebody else should probably do. I would say I'm a reader. Now, that sounds very vague, like everybody's a reader to some extent. Maybe I'm a reader more than a planner. Like after all these years of traveling, I don't need to know where I'm going to be every day of the year uh, when I go to Sumatra, for example. But I do want a little sense of what the history and culture of Sumatra is. So that when I, it's January and I'm seeing Christmas trees near Lake Toba, I'm thinking, hmm, I guess I'm in a Christian part of this island. It's mostly Muslim, you know. And uh, having enough reading to understand that context to me is more important than knowing what I'm going to be doing exactly from day to day in that place. And so this... I gave an example specific to Sumatra, but I think when you wake up every day and you do reading, that's not just social media, that's not just the internet, but might be, might have to do with uh, spirituality, for example, or might have to do with history and geography, uh, or might have to do with food and nutrition. That basically, I think one of my best habits is being a generalist with my reading, is is reading so that it can broaden me in ways that go beyond whatever my mission is at any given moment. Um, I've been, I don't know if you've read much of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the Buddhist, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He's written some great books about mindfulness. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a Buddhist thinker ever, but man, um, 
so many of the metaphors that he talks about, about being in the moment apply to travel. Uh, so much about what he talks about in trying to talk about being mindful in a spiritual way can apply to so many aspects of your life, be it travel, be it sleep, to use a previous example, uh, or be it going to work every day. Um, I love a metaphor of his, since we're talking about him, about washing dishes. He's like, why rush through washing dishes? Because then you're just in the future. You're trying to think about what ha what's happening after washing the dishes. How about the miracle of washing that bowl? And it's like, yeah, man. Uh, and so I really enjoy that reading has made me enjoy washing dishes. It's this, this, it's this act um, that I otherwise might, might have rushed to, but in a way that's what I think Ryan Holiday calls it dead time. It can be a dead time or a lifetime. Why not, why, why not make washing dishes be a lifetime? And, and just like, wow, it is cool to be alive and washing these dishes. And all I'm going to be doing while I'm in this moment is washing dishes. Well, one reason I can appreciate is that I was reading Thich Nhat Hanh. I was reading a Buddhist philosopher, and that has allowed me to broaden my days in a way that I didn't know before I was just reading as a generalist. So that's probably my best, one of my best habits is, is being a generalist reader that allows me to, to dip into different pools to make my central pool a little bit more interesting, I think. I like that. I like that. And I mean, that, that matches up with some of the, uh, the adventures that I've read about with you, because you'll, you'll be floating down a river one day and just hop into a, a, a a random shop and pick up some random book uh, that caught your eye, you know, and uh, maybe it has nothing to do with the title. Maybe it has everything to do with the cover or vice versa. Um, I think that's great. You know, not, not keeping ourselves, uh, you know, just set on one particular path when it comes to maybe the type of knowledge that we soak in, but that can be expound to uh, several other areas of our life as well, allowing ourselves to open up. Uh, <laughs> it's, it seems to be a very common theme with you, Rolf. <laughs> yeah. Well, openness. I, yeah, well, absolutely. You know, I, I think the book, I think that's an example from Vagabond. I found Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People in Myanmar because it was the only English language book for sale, right? Well, you know, it's sort of a dated, cheesy self-help book, but man, it had so many good metaphors in it. And so, you know, just the fact that maybe with my literature degree from way back when, I would have been too cool to read Dale Carnegie. Well, suddenly I'm reading Dale Carnegie on a riverboat on the Irrawaddy River in, in Burma. And it's like, well, that counts too. That's interesting. You know, a lot of people have had their lives changed by this guy who wrote a book in the 1930s. And so, yeah, it's another reason of not setting limits, of just realizing that broadening your reading, be it reading poetry or self-help or philosophy or something more theological or something about engineering, that it all, it can all fit together, you know, that don't let your specialization in life limit yourself to where you can be with your imagination and your intellectual interests. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, we are getting down to some of the final minutes. Um, one question that I had, and this is this is very much nothing to do with anything we were just talking about. Um, I was listening to your podcast, which actually I'll roll into that here in just a second. Uh, but I was listening to your podcast and it's crazy because the day that I was listening to your podcast, I think it was probably one of your more recent episodes. Um, I was leaving Colorado and the podcast I was listening to was you and your wife in the car heading to Colorado. And by the time that that podcast was actually done, so we would have been in Colorado at the same time. And I'm curious to know what part of Colorado you, you were heading to uh, in that podcast. Uh, right adjacent to Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, okay. which is fun. when I was a kid, I would always go to the Colorado Springs area because there were some summer camps I went uh, to down there. Um, but yeah, my wife, my soon to be wife uh, has a family cabin uh, kind of near Rocky Mountain National Park. And so it's funny that there's this, the state of Colorado I have a lot of affinity for since I was a little kid, yet I'm in a new to me part of Colorado. I, I think I climbed Long's Peak during that van trip in 94, but other than that, I don't know Rocky Mountain National Park and the regions around it very well. Uh, so it's been fun. Uh, what's your part of Colorado? Uh, Colorado Springs. That's where okay. we were. Uh, that's where we were and where we were leaving whenever we were going because was, it was funny. And I'm, I apologize. Yeah, you were uh, heading up there with your fiance, soon to be wife. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've almost expounded the word fiance from my literature because if I if I say that instead of wife, when I'm around my wife, then she'll give me a crazy look. Um, right. But but no, I just I was, I was telling my wife, I said, man, how crazy would it be if I had gotten the introduction around the same time? That, uh, that we were both in Colorado and uh, and how amazing that would have been if we had an opportunity to, to catch up. But we were still, I think, three hours away uh, from each other, which is, the, I don't know, it was uh, it was mind boggling to me. 
Yeah. Well, my wife actually in that in that um, I make fun of the idea of the word fiance in that podcast episode. I just say I don't like the word fiance, so I'm just going to call her my wife. That's right. Um, but yeah, my wife and I were hiking around in the snow, like snow up to our thighs all weekend. We were, we were having a blast. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a chance. I actually I love the springs. In fact, I, one thing I told her while we we're up there is like, yeah, my part of my backyard in Colorado is Colorado Springs, Woodland Park, Manitou Springs area, uh, and when we have the chance, it's going to be fun to show you a part of the world that's special to me. Like she's never been to Thailand either. Um, there's other parts, there's lots of parts of Africa she's never been to that I'm really fond of. So that's another, going back to another beat of our conversation. That'll be a fun part of travel is just showing a person I love places that I love. So uh, that applies to her with me in Colorado. And we were just having a blast hiking around in the snow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We spent a lot of time in the uh, Manitou Springs area, did the, uh, the bar trail up alongside the the Manitou incline and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Bar trail goes up Pikes Peak, right? I think it does. If you go all the way, we yeah. didn't because my wife's pregnant and uh, oh, okay. she was, she was taking a chance going with us in the first place, had two other friends with us. Uh, uh-huh. I said, I said, it's fine. Go ahead and come along with us. And if, uh, if things get, uh, if things start to get crazy, we'll take a rest and then we'll make our way back down. But no, we went all the way as far up as we, as anybody in our group was willing to go uh, based on the time of day it was getting to be whenever we were heading up there. Yeah, it's good. And, and, and the kid will, will know now intuitively that hiking is good, right? That's so. right. That's right. Um, so Rolf, uh, tell us where our listeners can just keep up with what you have going on. Um, you know, I know there's going to be people who are interested in what you do and more about uh, your adventures, more about your concepts on travel. Uh, where can they do to kind of keep up with all of that? I just go to rolfpots.com. Uh, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm a Gen, Gen Xer. I, I have like a lot of millennial and Gen Z travelers will contact me via Instagram because it doesn't occur to them that anybody would use anything else. Well, I'm an old school guy. I have rolfpots.com and everything is linked from that website. So there's uh, links to all my podcasts. I'm up to over 150 of them now. All of my books, I, I've written four books plus a comic book and more on the way. Um, a lot of my articles going back 20, 25 years are linkable on there, including my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook social media accounts. So the best place is rolfpots.com. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, again, Rolf, it's been a, uh, an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have met you via Zoom video conference, uh, as well as I had an opportunity to talk with you about the concepts of travel. And uh, I'm looking forward to everything that you have coming up. Um, and I, I'm actually looking forward to picking up those books again. I think I've striked up some nostalgia. I'm going to be yeah. heading back and picking up some more of those and, uh, and checking those out. Yeah, well, good luck uh, in your travels when they, whenever they resume. Thank you very much. It was good to have you on. Yeah. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just continually impressed by the types of guests that I'm able to have on this show. <laughs> I never would have thought that I could be sitting in a chair super small town USA, talking even smaller, small town Texas, and be talking with these people who have just accomplished so much in life. They have so much to share. They're impacting people all over the world. And I'm able to sit down and have a conversation with them one-on-one. I'm extremely blessed uh, and just extremely thankful for what God has done in my life to bring me to where I am today. I just want to take a second to just be grateful for the opportunities that I've had. Uh, Do the same. Take a second. Be grateful with where God has brought you in your journey so far. There are just some amazing things that we can learn from all the individuals. Think And also think about how grateful we are for the people that are in our lives, not just where God has brought us, but the people that God has brought into our lives. I'm just kind of mind blown right now thinking about the concept of how everything works out. Everything has a way of working its way and weeding its way into your life. So, well, all right, let's get back to this episode and talk about the concept of travel. How amazing would it be to build this lifestyle that you're that you're probably thinking up after having listened to this episode? You know, maybe long-term world travel is in the books for you. That's something that's piqued your interest since listening to mine and Rolf's conversation. I would love to help you get started on making that a reality. 
even if, even if you just want to start incorporating some travel into your daily life, you know, there's different things that we can start doing to continue our growth and to continue to move ourselves toward our most fulfilled lifestyle. That's what I love to do for people. So if you're looking for more clarity and what that actually looks like for you, what your path in life needs to be and how, you know, what's what's a good path that you can start looking forward and following to make sure that the things that you're seeking after you're not getting sidetracked, you're not getting bounced off the wilds because I think that can that can happen a lot, you know. We can we can become sidetracked with, you know, different thoughts or something that somebody has that we don't have or something that piques our interest. And we don't want to get distracted too much in this life that we no longer are traveling in a straight line. We're zigzagging all over the place and we never actually accomplish what it is we set out to accomplish when we sit down and we think, this is what I want to accomplish in life. I just listened to that and that's what I want for my life. Or I just listened to this particular individual and maybe not his entire picture that he's painting, but this little picture over here in the corner this is something i want to implement for my life and i want to do that i want to head toward it and i want to make it a reality i love to help people do that i've been able to do it for myself and i love opportunities when i'm able to help impact somebody else and help them in that direction reach out to me if that's something you're interested in and you just need somebody in your corner somebody who understands why it's so important to stay concentrated. I'd love to help you find some clarity, some focus, and then help you start moving in the direction of your most fulfilled lifestyle quicker. That's what I love to do for people. And if that's what you're interested in and you want someone to work with you one-on-one with that, reach out to me. Head over to peacewiththeprocess.com and you will see a section on there that says create your peace. Click on that. Read through it give you a little overview of what we would do together and then what you can expect at the end of it and then fill out the contact me form and let's let's get started let's work together i would love to just find out what it is you actually want to do even if we don't end up working together fill that out and just call to tell me what it is that you have planned for your life even if you've already got it figured out if you already know hey blake i appreciate the offer but i've already got it figured out but I'd love to share it with you. I would love to hear it from you, so please fill that out and send it over to me. I'd love to hear what you have going on. And also, if anybody who's listening to this podcast, this is just kind of off a whim, anybody who's listening to this podcast and you have a desire to travel, maybe you're just interested in traveling or you're just piqued by mine and Rolf's conversation, I want to offer you a free copy of Rolf's Vagabonding, The Uncommon Guide to the art of long-term world travel. So the way I'm going to do this is if you share today's teaser episode, so head over to Facebook, Peace With The Process Facebook page, find the teaser clip that I uploaded and posted from that page, share it, tag me in it. You can tag me, Blake, Gan, (laughs) or you can tag the page and tag three people who you think could benefit from today's episode and then i will put you on a list and i will pick a random person at the end of this week and i will send you a copy a free copy i'll buy it i'll send it to your address so make sure you keep an eye out on your messages on your facebook messenger because that's where i'll message you on and make sure that you're paying attention to that so that i can get in contact with you and get you a free copy of that book it inspired me i would love for it to inspire you. And maybe you know somebody who would love a copy of his book. Yeah? So do that. (laughs) Go ahead, share the teaser clip that I uploaded to today's episode and tag me and three people you think would benefit from today's episode. And I will put you in a drawing to get a free copy of Rolf Potts' Vagabonding, The Uncommon Guide to the Art of Long-Term World Travel. I hope that you're the winner, and I hope that it inspires you to go out and achieve something, to go out and travel the world 
and then share your story with us. And if you want, you can share your story or, you know, whether or not you're the winner or not, and you want to share the journey that you're on, whether that has to do anything with travel or it just has to do with your personal mission that you're in the, in the, in the trenches on and you're, you're going through it right now. And you know that you're going to have, have some growth pains. You're going to have some opportunities to learn. You're going to have some ups and downs, some stories to tell. We want to hear your story. And if you're interested in telling it, sharing it and hearing others, head on over to peace with the process, Facebook group and apply to be a member of that community. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your thoughts and ideas and your input. And until next time, guys, thank you, everybody, who has been just a amazing supporter of this show. I cannot wait to hear from you all on all the social media platforms. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Comment on those posts. I love to hear from you guys. Or reach out to me personally. Always feel free to send me a message. You liked something about today's show. You had a particular idea or a thought, something you think you might like uh, to hear about. Whatever it is, something you want to you know, offer me up, I don't care. Reach out to me. I love to hear from you guys all the time. I've really appreciated those of you who have reached out already. It's just uh, it's heartwarming to know that I've had an impact in somebody's life in some way or another. I hope that we can all continue to work together and impact other people's lives as well. Well, guys, until next time, thank you for listening to another episode of Peace with the Process. Take care.